Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Joe Trofimuk, and um, I just moved to Clearwater, and I wanted to introduce myself. Well, I will. I am very excited to be back with you. I'm going to open us with a word of prayer, and then I'll talk a little bit about what's going on today. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another day where we can gather together as your people and worship you. Lord, as we had the opportunity to hear the choir song that we'll worship you forever, we, we get a, just a taste of what that might be like when we lift our voices together, making a joyful noise unto you as the body of Christ. So we just thank you, Lord, for that encouragement. We also thank you, Lord, for the power of your word and the strength you give us by your spirit illuminating the Word of God for us. We thank you for Pastor Steve's faithful proclamation and and what an encouragement it is to us to be reminded again and again and again of what you did when you sent your Son to the earth to live as a man and to die in our place. Lord, we love you. I pray that as we talk as a family this morning, it'll be an encouraging time, a productive time, and that you will be glorified by everything that transpires. We ask all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to say how excited I am to be back here. I, when I was telling you all that I was going to Africa, I forgot one thing. I forgot that kayaking canoe trip that kept me away for another week. Now, God was gracious and we did not die, which is a good thing. But I can tell you, I love being on the water. I'm not some great outdoorsman, but I love the water. And the rivers in Florida are so beautiful and I do have a kayak that I've learned how to navigate, and I absolutely love every moment that we're on the water. And there was great fellowship with all the people. I'm still not a camper. So I got through the weekend, and I survived, but I tell anybody, I like the time on the water better than I like the time on land. But it was a great and encouraging time to be with brothers in Christ. In my flesh, I was saying, boy, this was bad timing, and we planned it months ago, but right after the heels of Africa... But as I was getting to know people that I didn't know, hearing their testimonies, it was such an encouraging time to be together with other men of the church. So I apologize that I was gone one additional week, but I'm back and I'm very uh, thankful to be here. Now, I had mentioned before I left that I was going to give you all an update on the Africa trip, and that is actually what I'm going to do today. Now, in some respects, I'm, I'm not spoiling everything tonight because I don't have pictures. So if you want pictures, you've got to come back tonight. And, and I'm going to share things with you that I won't share tonight simply because it's a different format and I have more time now. So I'm going to talk a little bit. This is a little different because you, you've been around here enough. You know, when I teach, I have extensive notes. I don't, I don't really have notes. I, I just have a burden in my heart to share with you what transpired. And so I'm just going to jump right into it. I am very thankful for the opportunities I get here at Lakeside to go on trips like this. I don't take it for granted because I realize by God's grace that I'm getting to do things that a lot of people would never have an opportunity to do. And this trip was one of those times. Now, I had been to Africa twice, to Nigeria. Jason Bruns and I went, and then we took a team from Lakeside to Nigeria And I had heard about Benin and Togo for a long time, but this was the first time that I was able to set foot in those two countries. I had met the pastors from those countries because they had come to Nigeria when we did pastor training, but this was my first time on the ground there. And 
it wasn't necessarily that it was any different than what I expected, but I would say this. It would be good for everyone who complains about America and all its faults to come with us on an SOS trip to West Africa, and I think a lot of complaints would go away in a second. I cannot emphasize enough, and I realize some of you have traveled more than I will ever travel, but it is a different world in some respects. So I'm going to try and talk about that, while at the same time I'm going to be reiterating over and over again, while it's different, it's exactly the same. Why? Because people made in the image of God are living in sin. They may look a little different, it may manifest itself a little differently, but what this travel does is it lets us see, lets me see, and I want to try and communicate with you what God is doing around the world, but also the obstacles that are out there for the church. Now, it was interesting because the countries of Africa, I can only speak to three of them because I've only been to three of them. Nigeria, the very first time we were in the airport, Mike Shad had warned Jason and I, look, the soldiers are going to try and shake you down for money. Don't give them any. And sure enough, that's what happened. So I'm used to that in one sense. But in Benin and Togo, there seems to be, they're smaller countries. And so for some reason, the corruption seems a little more pronounced, although I'm sure it's not. It's just a very, very un, it's hard to articulate. It's an unusual circumstance. So if some of you got prayer requests, how many of you heard about the passport issue that happened on the trip? Yeah. So I've never had this happen before, and thankfully it didn't happen to me. But we left an airport on an international soil with two passports being confiscated and taken away. It's a little unnerving because as you travel around these countries, what you find is that throughout the countries, and we're only in the southern parts of Benin and Togo, but there are police and military everywhere with guns waiting to shake people down. And you might be surprised by this, but we stand out a little bit because we're white. <laughs> so, so when they pull our cars over, there's something different about our cars. And so it was a very unsettling thing to have the government confiscate the passports. Now, some of you have heard this, and I won't be able to share in detail tonight, it's my first trip there, and in Nigeria, it was an English colony. So in Nigeria, for the most part, people will speak English. Until you get out in the rural areas where they only speak a tribal dialect, you bump into people anywhere they speak English. And so it's not, it's not that unsettling. In Benin and Togo, they were French colonies. So if they speak any language other than, I mean, theoretically, they would speak English, but they don't. They speak French. So in the airport, for me... It was unsettling because I'm in the country a few minutes and I printed off my visa off the internet. Paid a few dollars and I printed it on my home printer and I had a piece of paper. Mike and John, through a different process, had sent their passports to the Benin Embassy in Washington. So they had official, if you've ever traveled and you've ever had a visa in your passport, they had the official Benin Embassy visa in their passports good for three years. And so I had my piece of paper that I think anybody could forge, and I walked up, and I was through in two seconds. The people at the airport said to Mike and John, you don't have a valid visa. Well, it's from the embassy in Washington that is your embassy. No, this isn't real. This isn't true. So from their standpoint, they're in the country illegally. Well, we haven't even got out of the airport yet. 
and we've got an issue. And so we had all of our luggage, and they were walking and talking, and so they pulled us around a corner, and then they took Mike and John upstairs, and I'm sitting in a country where nobody else speaks English with a pile of luggage and just wondering. And I waited and waited and waited. About a half hour later, I'm still waiting. It's like, okay, Lord, I, I guess this could be an interesting trip, but just me and the luggage in the airport, and they came back, and they kept their passports. They gave them a piece of paper, but that was it. So we were able, by God's grace, to do ministry, but they were considered to be in the country illegally by the government. Now, we had to get tested to fly back to Togo, because we flew from Newark, New Jersey, to Lome, Togo, then from Togo to Benin. We stayed four days in Benin, then we flew back to Togo. To fly back to Togo, you have to have a COVID test. And so we had to go back to the capital city anyway, but we spent an entire day at the immigration office. At one point, Mike sent me with some Nigerians and people from Benin to the U.S. Embassy. And by the time I got to the U.S. Embassy, before I even got in, some things happened. But it was just a reminder, and from my perspective, of very real spiritual warfare. In one sense, I prayed and Mike got tickled because I prayed to the Lord about bureaucratic incompetence, and he thought that was a funny-sounding um, way of doing it, but I'm convinced it was spiritual warfare. Satan is the prince of this world, and his minions were causing issues. So it was an interesting start to our time in Benin and Togo. Now, a couple things were interesting to me. Number one, not as much in Benin, but definitely in Togo, COVID has everyone spooked. In Togo, you have to wear a mask indoors. You have to wear a mask in the car. You have to wear a mask outdoors. I watched as some corrupt soldiers pulled our car over and then pulled a car in front of us, and they're all standing there with guns trying to hassle our our pastor friend who was our driver. And I saw soldiers yelling at two Muslim men that were walking the closest person, I'd have to walk outside the gym. That's how far they were away. And the guy's yelling at him with guns. The guy has to pull his mask out of his pocket. They've lost their minds. Now, at the same time, the soldier with the machine guns yelling at the Muslim man, his captain's over there without a mask on, sitting and talking to everybody. But that's just the social setup. It's interesting. This is a portion of Africa where a lot of American slaves came from. So it's interesting the, from the standpoint of ethnicity, I I couldn't help but think, you know, ancestors of these people are living in the United States, brought here by force. But it just made for a very interesting circumstance. The corruption that is endemic is hard to fathom to me, but the people are oppressed by their own government. So the government officials and the government employees are siphoning money off the economy And unlike Nigeria, which at least has oil, Benin and Togo, as far as I can tell, they don't have anything. So as you get away from the bureaucracy and the hassles of the government officials and you go farther out where we were flew into the capital, then we drove through a city and we went farther out, what you see is a trickle down of misery such that by the time you get to most of the places we were ministering, people don't have electricity. If they have a water well, it's because SOS 
through faithful donations, has built a water well in the area. So from a human perspective, it really is a sad circumstance. Now, I I was very thankful that Mike, because of his experience, for the most part, we had a safe place to stay. But I told this to the elders. You are very aware that it's a very, very dangerous place to be at every turn. And I'm going to explain in a few minutes part of why I think it's so dangerous. But what is encouraging is that despite the danger, the Lord's working there. I'm not Superman, but I don't worry about it because and we had conversations with cars. It's like, well, I so firmly believe in the sovereignty of God that if I was meant to die in Benin or Togo, there's nothing I can do to save myself. By the same token, if I'm not meant to die in Benin and Togo, there's nothing anybody here can do to me, so I just go about my business and keep an eye on the guns. <laughs> so in that regard, it was, it was even different, the experience there, even than in Nigeria. But as I was there, I was reminded again of what the gospel does. Because there's language barriers, there are cultural barriers, but at the end of the day, the pastors that I interacted with, and the pastors, and where I'm going to go right now for the pastoral training center in Benin, these are men who really, just like us, they were in darkness, they heard the message of Jesus Christ, they came to faith, and they are determined to keep advancing the gospel. So as we were in Benin, the first thing we did on the first day was we actually went and met with the local governor. Now, we were very thankful to have the opportunity, and if I showed you the governor's office, his office was okay, but the compound is not like any government office in the United States, but the idea was we're building a facility, SOSs, which means the government controls what you can do and what you can't do, even though it's very rural and very out of the way, they're still permitting and they're still government permissions, And by God's grace, we were able to meet with the local governor. Mike shared the gospel with him. We all talked to him. He said, and this is an interesting part, he said, I follow Jesus, and then he pointed to a crucifix. He's Catholic. It's the French influence. So when you see in Benin is three dominant influences. There's a little bit of Catholicism. There's quite a bit of Islam and then I'll talk about it in a minute, on top of everything is voodoo. So as we were starting out with this government official, it seemed like the Lord gave us favor. He gave us his card, said if there's any problem you run into, because in his mind, you're trying to help the people. You've already done a water well. You're trying to help the people. If we help the people, it makes him look good. Because he can at least say, hey, look what's happening here. So we went out to the place, and and tonight I would encourage you to come because I've got two video clips. One that I took while I was there, and it really shows you what Lakeside is invested in with that project that's on the ground. And when I was there, they had poured the walls. They're doing all the work themselves. You don't hire a contractor unless you're a gazillionaire, which means you're corrupt. So the church is building the church. They're buying the supplies. They're there are these palm trees, and I don't think I have a picture of them. They're about this big around. They're big palm trees. Well, they must have cut down 50 of them, and they have to cut them all down by hand and without chainsaws. I mean, they're just chopping them down. It's the church members. 
So we're going to take down some trees next week. I'm going to have a faith builders project and I'll bring axes and <laughs> we'll see what it's like. But it was neat because they were so excited to show it to us. And they had already poured the foundation. One building will be a residential place because the students are going to come and they're going to live on site. So there's the kitchen, there's bathrooms, there's it's not a giant place, but there's dormitory places where they'll have bunk beds for the various pastors. And then there's room for the speakers who come and speak. And then separate from that is a long education building that's going to have one big room with a partition in the middle and then three individual classrooms. And then a separate building, which will be another kitchen and dining area. And then there'll be a center area where a caretaker will be on site. So I've got a video clip tonight that shows you what it looked like when we were there. And then yesterday, Mike Schott sent me an updated clip that they had just sent him that the progress is going even higher. So maybe the walls were... Well, some of the walls were this high when I was there, and they're higher. Some walls were higher, they keep going. It is exciting to see how quickly it's coming together, but they are facing some serious challenges. One is the government is requiring them to put a wall up, and this is not a small piece of property. It's bigger than I expected. So a wall is going to be very expensive to have to surround it. The other thing that's happening, and... I'll resist the temptation to go down a side road in political discourse, but that word inflation that is here is devastating them in Benin. In the six weeks before we got there, the price of materials had tripled for construction. And here's the problem. They can't buy everything ahead of time. It doesn't work that way. When you're doing it bit by bit, if they bought it all ahead of time, the next morning it would all be stolen. So they're having to buy what they work with, which leaves them subject to the whims of the economy, and so they have some struggles. But at the end of the day, it's, it's an exciting thing to see that the Lord is planting for them, the men from Nigeria and Benin and Togo, will be able to come together and learn and train and grow up a next generation of leaders. Now, as I mentioned before, I've been to Nigeria twice, and both times I went, I did pastoral teaching, training the men. So I'd met most of these men before. But as SOS talks about this new training center, they want to be very strategic. And so I was a part of meetings, just because I happened to be there, where they were planning, how are we going to do this? What are we going to teach? What was interesting is Mike's not been able to be in Benin or Togo for almost two years because COVID has shut down everything. So they were starved for interaction. In fact, the brothers from ben Nigeria had not even been able to see the brothers from Benin and Togo. And it would be, be like driving to Orlando. They're that close. But because Nigeria was an English colony and Benin was French, you can't cross the borders. Benin and Togo were both French colonies. You can cross the borders. It's a, it's a strange setup. But all that to say, they have come up with a process, and their goal will be this, to train men over the course of a year. And what they would anticipate doing, and this is a little bit of flux, they've already kind of outlined what they would like to be a curriculum. The men talking about what do we need on the ground? What do we need as a curriculum? I'm going to have some conversations I texted with Jack Jenkins because Jack's done things like this in Haiti and Colombia. So we're going to talk some more, but the, they have a great desire to learn. And what impressed me is they were trying to pick the first 12 students to go through it. And all the leaders that I've always known are going to be those first 12. In other words, they understand even though they're the leaders, they need to know more. They need the training. They need 
the information. So we sat down in a room and they were talking it through. And I have a picture tonight with their names. But they have decided on the first 12 students. Now there's an additional challenge for them in that there are only two major languages. French is spoken in Benin and Togo, English in Nigeria. But once you get on the ground, you realize there are tribal languages that cross the borders such that one of the brothers from Nigeria can speak to one of the brothers from Benin because they both speak Yoruba, but other brothers from Benin speak Igun, so they can't speak to the brothers from Nigeria because the brothers from Nigeria don't know French. And then you get over into Togo, and then there's this other language, Ewe, which to our ears, they all sound about the same, but they're not the same language. And so they decided that even though they have more than 12 men who are good, they've got to limit it to English and French or else they can't translate. Because if you're trying to translate into English and to French and to Egun and to Yoruba and to Ewe, pretty soon it's unworkable. So at least initially they're going to limit it to men who can read and write in English or French and they'll do the translation. Now one of the men that's going to be trained, he is a remarkable individual the Lord has raised up. We've always called him Exodus. His name, I found out, is actually a Maglo. But I think he told me one time, he speaks like 14 languages. He's the only person that can speak to everybody. Because he knows all the tribal dialects, plus he knows French, plus he knows English. So if something happened to him, we'd be in trouble. But he was a centerpiece of everything that we do, because he's the only one that can talk to everyone. Otherwise, you get bits and pieces of conversation and we'd be sitting around the dinner table and half the people couldn't talk to half the people. And so it, it was just a very interesting thing. But to be a part of that, it was very exciting. I hope, I, I presented this to the elders, I hope. Some of the elders of Lakeside, I certainly want to go back and teach. I hope more elders from Lakeside can go because these are men that are impacting the community in a great way. And I'm going to lead into a big part of what I want to say this morning and what I want to say tonight. But one of the things that's interesting is every single one of these men is passionate, not just about the church. You see them acting as pastors of churches. I preached every day I was there. That, I'm very thankful for that. I'm preaching every day. So I'm in all these various churches. But these men, they love the church. They pastor the church. They shepherd the church. But I've never run across people who have more of a heart for evangelizing one more village, one more village, one more village. What you realize when you get there is, at least from my experience through Benin and Togo, there's really, as far as I could tell in, in the south part of the countries, which is where the capital of both countries are, they're just a single paved road for the most part. Maybe in the big city there's a few more, but once you get outside the city, there's just a single road that goes across. So everywhere you're going, you're traveling dirt roads. And you get off the dirt roads, and by the time the trip was done, I never wanted to ride in the back seat of a car on a dirt road ever again in my life. But what you realize is there's always one more village. And even when you think you've reached the ends of the earth, it's like, oh, you keep going, there's another village, and another village, and another village. And these men have a passion for going to the next place, and the next place. In fact, we went to one village, and there's some pictures, just only a couple of pictures tonight, and Mike told me in the car, you know, this is not many believers. This is an evangelistic message. So I had in my mind evangelism. We get there, and from the time that Mike had been there last to now, there were like 100 believers. It just had exploded, so I had to 
change quickly? Okay, Lord, uh, uh, let me give a different type of message. But the Lord is at work, and, and things are happening there. Now, what is probably the thing that catches the most attention, and I am going to focus on it a lot tonight, because it, it's not just because of what I'm thinking about for them, but it's making me think about us as well, and it's the spiritual climate that they're operating in. Now, there's a sense in which they're all motivated, and I see this by Romans chapter 10, and I'll quote this tonight, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? That's what the pastor training center is about. But that's what these men are about. How will they preach unless they are sent? These men are on fire. They just understand I've got to have more than just the message I have. I've got to know more to go out there. Because they've got to be able to exhort in sound doctrine or refute those who contradict. And that's where the battle is fought. What do I say this? When I was in Nigeria, when you go out in the villages, there's, there's witchcraft. Now, there's a lot of Islam. That's what you hear about on the news. Nigeria is a strange country. There's a church every five feet, but it's health and wealth gospel, Benny Hinn stuff. So these poor people are being fleeced by an imported American message of the gospel will make you rich, which it doesn't. Then there's a cult that goes across all three countries called the Celestial Church. They name the name of Jesus Christ, but they're not worshiping Jesus. It's a pure cult. And then there's Islam. You, where we stay in Nigeria, you look over the fence and there's a Muslim village and we've met with the um, imam there. And as you go out, you see a little bit of witchcraft here and there. You'll see an idol up against a tree, or you'll see some place where they do things. And I'd heard a lot about this from Mike, but in Benin, Togo, it's, it's a different animal. Because at least in the southern part of those countries, which is where we were, voodoo permeates everything. Everywhere you go are the evidences of voodoo. And when you say voodoo, and, and please understand, these are the observations from one trip. I've actually been reading a lot about it. I wouldn't encourage you to spend your time reading about evil, read about Jesus. But from the standpoint of somebody who plans to go back and I'm interacting, I want to know a little bit more about what I'm interacting with. But it's really just the worship, they would say, the worship of gods. And they get this list of gods. But we know what they're worshiping. They're worshiping demons overtly. I've got some pictures tonight, but I won't even be able to do justice to what we saw. But everywhere you go, the worship of spirits permeates it. What's interesting is the only people that are saying, come out of that, get rid of your idols, is the tiny, tiny, little bitty evangelical witness, which is almost non-existent. The Catholic Church just says, hey, bring your idols with you. Islam has even figured out how to incorporate. I've read articles where people, they go to the mosque, then they go to do the voodoo, then they go back. And what you see is in these countries, because of the abject poverty, something as simple as medical care is beyond their reach. So one of the reasons that John goes, he does these clinics, and people flood him. Why? Because to get medical care there, you've got to have money up front. We saw some heartbreaking stories of people that in America would be a simple thing, but the hospitals say, you got money? 
$150, you might as well be asking for a million. Okay. Then go away. So what do they do? The witch doctor says, I'll take care of it. Give me money. You don't have to give me as much. And the witch doctor lives in the village. You didn't have to drive to the capital city. And the witch doctor saying, I'll take care of you. We just have to have some sacrifices. There's a sense in which for us, and, and I get it. I, I mean, you know, I grew up watching Scooby-Doo. There's a witch doctor on Scooby-Doo and the voodoo and what have you. But for them, it's a matter of life or death. So when you have a village that the gospel is going to, the gospel is showing up, and there's already a witch doctor who runs things, who makes money off of his power. So the people are in a certain bondage because they live as their ancestors have lived, believing in the power of these spirits. And there's a sense in which, of course, we understand biblically, they're not wrong. Demons have a great deal of power. But demons aren't Jesus Christ. And God is sovereign and God is the all-powerful one. And so the men that are taking the gospel into these villages, they understand because they live it, particularly in Benin and Togo, everything centers around voodoo and the witch doctor. The one, if you get SOS newsletter, and it, we, I saw him again this trip in Togo, there's a sorcerer whose hand was blown off. So they, they call him Joseph. But he told the story of how he was trying to, he was communing with Satan. And he was powering up to do more spells. And that's how he blew his hand off. His dad before him was the sorcerer of the village. And the sorcerers have all the power. In fact, when Joseph, I just heard this on this trip because I saw where he lived in his little mud hut with the, the palm fronds on the roof. When he renounced sorcery and came to faith in Jesus Christ, his wife left him because she wanted to be married to a man of power. And walking away from sorcery took away her prestige, her status. And it's ironic because even in those villages, the people don't have anything. But if they're feared... They have power. So there was a sense as I was walking around and we're going to place after place, it just reminds me of, and again, I'll quote scriptures tonight, of the schemes of the devil. And I'm going somewhere with this, but there, the schemes of the devil are people are terrified of being killed by the sorcerers. Many of you have seen the picture in a newsletter where Mike put his hand on a building. Well, he sent out the most recent newsletter, my hand's on that building. They're still offering human blood sacrifices in that building. They have people believing that they're going to die at the command of these people. And here's, again, the problem. We know from Scripture, Satan, if God gives permission, Satan can take away life. Look at Job's children. Don't touch Job, but all his children were killed by Satan. So there's a sense when you're walking around in these villages that the evil is so omnipresent and it's so overt that it's a little bit jarring to Western sensibilities. Again, in the Mike's newsletter that he sent out, he, he only had a part of the story, but 
he wanted to show me in this one village, that one of the first churches I preached in, he wanted to show me the hut of the lady that started it all. One lady in a village with a lot of huts had come to faith and said, come here. And so they were meeting under a little palm tree. Now when I'm there, they've got a brick building, they've got the water well, it's a nice ongoing facility. So Mike's just showing me this, and we brought one of the Nigerians who's also was there. And so we're walking along, and all of a sudden we come up to a hut. And you can see, and I, I hope I can blow it up tonight. I don't know if I can. But you can see there's a, looks like a mermaid with serpents around it. It's actually a god of the, goddess of the water. And you see a man leading a goat. It's obviously a sacrificial animal. And so we're looking, and Mike's explaining to me, this is a sorcery hut. They're offering sacrifices here. So I'm looking, and we're probably we're as far as Steve Edward from me. I'm not standing on the doorway looking in, and Mike and I are talking. Now, interesting, the church is in the parking lot. It's that close. And as we're talking, this old man, he might have been 30, but he looked 100. I don't know how old he was. Actually, I do know he was older because something happened later comes running down, and he was angry. So we had to get somebody else to translate because our guy from Nigeria couldn't speak what he was speaking. But the man was angry because he said, this is mine. These are my gods. I have the right to worship here. And he was angry because the, these white people are standing there as though we had anything. And he was angry because the church is taking away his followers. So he was getting more and more heated. Well, that's not the first time I've seen that with Mike. So we're standing there, and all of a sudden a woman walks up, and she starts jabbering, and I'm thinking, uh-oh. And I'm seeing the young people in the village behind. This happened before with Mike and I, and suddenly young men with, in Nigeria and young men with machetes are walking by. Thinking, okay, Lord. And So this woman, who I don't know what she's doing, but she's jawing at the man, and at first I'm thinking, uh-oh, she's probably saying something. Turns out, it was his adult daughter who came to faith in Christ. And so she's, I think, what do I know? I can't understand anybody. But I think she was basically chastising her dad. And his countenance changed. And the anger that was, I think it was demonic, softened in the presence of his daughter. So Mike just invited him, come, let us treat you medically. Come, come to the church. And who knows what the Lord may do in the future. Why was I even saying that? Because that was just us walking along. And suddenly a sorcerer, boom, he's right there. And as we went along, we saw more and more of that. The church where Mike put his hand on the wall and where we went, that wall is probably 200 yards. It's closer than Lakeside is from Lakeside Christian School. But all the people worship at this giant tree, which is not uncommon. There's a giant tree that they worship. And they say at night, demons go up and down the tree. Christine asked me, Dad, do you think they do it? And I said, I don't know. Satan could do it. He's, he's, he's a deceiver. Certainly could. Or I don't know if it's just people seeing things. But there's no question. You walk, and I've got pictures of this. You walk, and there's a, there's a sacrifice. There's an altar. There's an altar. There's an altar. An altar building. So between the altar building where Mike put his hand you'll pass 10 or 15 other altars because they permeate these villages because it's all satanic worship. And what happens is these faithful men on the ground go into these villages and they plant churches 
and they keep growing and it creates more hostility. And you can imagine for the people on the daily basis, the altars are still there, the idols are still there. And that village of Ronco, the, one of the, just sad to me, but there was a, and I've got a picture of it, but there was a municipal looking building and you can see there's all kinds of odd objects in there. Something that obviously was a fertility god based on how it was shaped and there were other things. There was a police officer statue which from what was communicated to me that's just a symbol that the voodoo controls the officers and they're under their protection. But as we were sitting there talking I could see there was a man sitting behind it. He was sitting in the the evil place and he was just sitting there and he came out and again my my immediate reaction was this man's demon possessed. You could see it in his eyes. You could see it in his countenance. You could see it in his demeanor. By God's grace, he didn't do anything to us, but he walked from one place to another place. So he was where Demo was away from us, and then he went and sat where Marilyn was away from us, just keeping an eye on us with a glazed expression. So I was sympathetic because the people that are coming to that church live amongst this. And they face pressure. Wait, why are you walking away from our ancestors? Why, why are you walking away from this? And then the sorcerers say, well, we're going to cast a spell on you. That's a common thing. They want to cast spells. In fact, you could probably go and pay them money and they cast a spell on your enemy. So there's a sense in which the evil demonic worship is so overt, overt it's jarring. Now, I think I could take your average, typical, unbelieving American and they would just go, tisk tisk. all these poor people, they're backwards. The reality is, we know from Scripture, they're just living overtly what's happening everywhere. Satan is the ruler of this age, and unless the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrates human hearts, people are doing the will of Satan, not the will of God. The difference is, in Benin and then in Togo, it's not behind closed doors, it's out in the open. What is so strange to me is how these things coexist. Everywhere you go, you see a mosque in the middle of nowhere. But the mosque is coexisting with the voodoo, and it's all fitting together, and you just realize the evil doctrines of demons that permeate these cultures apart from our belief that God is more powerful than any of that, you'd say, this is hopeless, why even bother? Which is what's so encouraging is these faithful men on the ground keep pressing on. And they keep looking for the next village. The last night we were there, John, the, the gentleman in Togo, there, there must be a cultural thing. Everybody has a single name. On their passports they have more than one name, but everybody goes by one name except John Lasso. So I don't know how that happened and I didn't ask, but John Lasso in Togo, um, he was very gracious. His wife would host us every night and the three nights we were there and we had a meal there. But John Lasso was sharing a story of one of the villages that I preached in and he was talking about his first trip there and a different pastor, not affiliated with SOS, had gone there before him and the at the instigation of the 
ancestral worship, which is voodoo, and the sorcerer, they just beat him to death. They just killed him. Because they know what it means if you come in and try and take people away. And so when John Lasso went there, not only did they threaten John Lasso, but they said, and don't be bringing your white people with you. And so what happens? He keeps going. And we keep going. There's a lot more of that that I could share. And again, tonight I've got a little bit more biblical focus. But here's where this is coming from. And it's my burden for us to open our eyes where we are. And this is just me speaking. I'm not a prophet, but I do think I understand the scriptures a little bit. If you walked with me, if I could take our class there, you would nod your head and say, oh, I see what he's talking about. One little village, one house had five altars. And these are offers worth sacrifice. It's just everywhere. And you'd say, oh, I see that. I got a video clip. We were in an evil forest where people once a year go in to try and be demon-possessed because if they're demon-possessed, they become powerful and everybody's afraid of them for a year. So it's a bit, women can't come outside. It's only men only. Mike had told me about this, but I'm standing there and we're seeing it. We're going away and all of a sudden you see coming at you witch doctors. They call them masquerades because they're wearing outfits, but if you read up on them, they believe that they've communed with the spirit of the dead, which would mean they're demon-possessed, and the people believe that if you touch them, you will die. So I've got a video clip that John D'Amico took where two different ones were trying to stop our car, and they couldn't do it. But I could show you all that, and you'd say, wow, that boy, those demons are really active there. And somebody asked me while I was there, did I think that there was anything like this in America? And I said, I think it's just as ever-present in America. The difference is the people are wearing suits that are demon-possessed. It looks primitive to see these sorcerer places where people are, and you see the dead animals hanging, the, the bones and stuff, it's all over. The difference, again, in America... The demon-possessed people are wearing a nice suit. They're working in the universities. They're working in the schools. They're working in Hollywood. They're working in the government. Paul said in Ephesians 6, a familiar verse of verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That is our reality here, no less than what's going on in Benin and Togo. Trips like that, they don't change anything about my theology. I've never gone on a trip like that and think, oh, I was wrong. No, the Bible bears out. The Bible's true because the Bible's true. It doesn't matter what I see. I've always said I don't trust my senses. I trust the Word of God. Because Satan can deceive my senses. But the Word of God stands forever. But what I see is the spiritual, I'll make up a word, asleepness of us. Not all of us, not all of us all the time. And my prescription might be different than what you would think, but, but it just has really reiterated to me how good Satan has done at lulling America to sleep. 
the people in Benin and Togo, you don't have to convince them that Satan's at work. They don't think of him as Satan. They understand demons are everywhere because they're worshiping every three feet. In America, nobody believes they're even real. It's not theologically accurate. It's not scripture, but it's an interesting book. C.S. Lewis wrote the Screw Tape Letters, where it's a fictitious conversation between a higher level demon and a lower level demon. But one of the things that's said in the book, and again, it's not scripture, but it, I've always thought that this probably is not far from the truth. There was a phraseology somewhere within the book that created the image in my mind that he was saying this, that Satan understands who he's dealing with. If it behooves him, then he will be a scary ogre that is out in front of you. That's Togo and Benin. But if it behooves him, he'll also put on a suit and blend in. You won't even see him. So there's a sense in which I badly want to help these believers. But there's another sense in which I badly want us to wake up to understand what we're dealing with. So... If you hear me saying those things, teaching through Joel, I'll try not read them onto the text, but next week we'll start. But obviously this is something that's near and dear to my heart. Hopefully you can come back tonight, and if you can't, hopefully we'll be able to broadcast it. I've got a question into Mike Shot. Rig had a good question. He's like, can we broadcast all this? Is it going to put anybody in danger? So I'm waiting to hear back from Mike. Anyway, thank you for your support of Lakeside that enables me to go. I pray that you'll continue to support. They may have more needs in the future because of the inflation to finish the building if they do and if we ask. If the Lord has blessed you, keep that in mind because the work there is badly needed. But what it does, it motivates me for the work here where it's no less needed. So let me close this with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Benin and Togo, in Nigeria, but I also pray for my brothers and sisters here in America. Lord, the schemes of the devil are many. He's a liar and the father of lies. He's a murderer, but he's devious enough to disguise himself as an angel of light. Lord, give us eyes to see what's going on around us. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to fear him. You make it clear, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Resist the devil and he'll flee from us. Lord, help us to be faithful to do that. But also, Lord, help us not be lulled to sleep by the schemes of the adversary. We love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.